to Cofield and Company. Uh, my Buffalo Bills, you know, I give the uh, Jets credit. Those guys are physically tough. Solace, Coach Solace got those guys playing. I still think Buffalo, I question the fact that they don't seem to put a lot of time and to develop in a running game. Everything cannot be Josh Allen. Hut, hut, oh! Let's go Bills, let's go Bills, let's go Bills, Bills, let's go Bills. All right, time for a little Bills talk, Sabres talk, Jack Eichel in Buffalo, VGK talk, and hometown hero, OJ Simpson there. Candy, I do get a little uncomfortable when OJ kind of raises his voice a little bit at the end there, where he's like, you can't use Josh Allen all the time. I'm not exactly sure what he said. I got freaked out. Well, the thing is, OJ wants to see a running game slice through the defense, and he's just not getting that out of Buffalo right now. Every time we play OJ Sound, one of you has to do that nonsense. Show some respect for the man. Uh, Sal Capaccio covers the Buffalo scene. Sideline reporter for the Bills. Big radio star on WGR. He's doing the rounds tonight. He's doing a lot of radio spots. Sal, I appreciate you stepping in. How you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Yeah. Uh, big week here in Buffalo, obviously, with the Josh Allen news. So thanks for having me on. Would you guys like our vast sound department to uh, send you clips of OJ every time he speaks to the public? No, that's okay. okay. Um, I think we're all good. We, we, we have a lot of OJ stuff going on uh, all the time. Yeah. Yep. Sorry about that. Sorry, yeah, walking. I'm, yeah. I'm actually literally going through the drive-through while I'm talking to you guys. Wow. Sorry about that. It's very um, close. It's very anyway. close to home for us because we may see him any night. You never know when he's going to be at a bar hanging out, and you know, after a, a round of golf. So good times. Yeah. So listen. I mean, obviously OJ here. There's a lot of debate about the whole. You know, should he be on the, the wall? Things like that. Um, we have um, the number 32 was finally given out a couple of years ago. People wonder why it was never given out before. Well, is it retired because he's great? Is it not given out because of what happened? There was a controversy about that. So. He, he's still in the, uh, he's still being yes. talked about a little bit here and there. Yes, for sure. Uh, Sal Capaccio is with us. All right. So I want to talk Bills in a couple minutes, but first let's get to what's going on with the Sabres so far this season. So give us a story. How have the Sabres opened up? Opened up great. They had a really um, great start. Uh, they're very, they're the youngest team in the league. They, they do have a lot of talent. They're, they're kind of taking a page out of the Bills book from a few years ago, which is draft and develop and pay, and that's what they've kind of done. With Tage Thompson, they paid him. Matias Samuelson, they paid him. Some people said a little too early to pay these guys, but they don't want to go out and you know, try to buy a team or try to you know, build a team through free agency. They kind of traded. They, they, they tried that. They had a really good farm system. They traded away for guys, and the Ryan O'Reilly did, thing didn't work out, and they traded a bunch of stuff for that, and then Jack Eichel, of course, that didn't work out. They traded that, but now look, Alex Tuck is here, Peyton Krebs, Tage Thompson, but now the last couple of day, games are not playing that well. Um, they're now, what, 7-6, and six, I think, after last night. Vegas comes to town, as you know, tomorrow. The Bruins are on tap. They're going to be okay. I don't know if they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be fighting for it. But they're a very, very um, young team that's definitely on the upswing. Explain, if you can, Sal, a little bit about the animosity that we've heard from Buffalo fans toward Jack Eichel. Because, to mm. me, I, I hear it and I look at it from the perspective of, all right, the guy wanted to have this surgery. The team didn't want him to have it. And he's protecting his health. So I just see it from one end of that. But I don't have all the backstory here that might lead to some of what we've heard the last uh, year or so after this trade. So take us through it. So Jack came in as, you know, the, the Sabres basically tanked to, to get either Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel. And they thought they'd get Connor McDavid. They didn't. But the consolation prize was Jack Eichel, which is great. Okay, great. So they got him and he came in and Jack was very young. And he had to kind of be 
you know, thrust into being the leader right away of this team that was kind of built not to win. And then they tried to surround them with a few parts and pieces. And for a little while there, you thought you had something going with Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly that were here. And to be honest with you, I think, um, guys, I think Jack just wasn't kind of the right fit and mature enough in a lot of, in a lot of ways. But I think a lot of that was on the organization for putting him in that situation. And he wasn't in a great room with other people, I think, that were great for him to latch on to. They weren't perfect leaders. Um, you know, Evander Kane was a guy, hey, hey, Jack, hi, here's Evander Kane. Go follow him around. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> even that guy. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I think that a lot of that just was not a good culture fit. And then they were still losing. Jack got frustrated with that. Um, and then what happened was the, the neck injury. And I think it was already to a boiling point, a tipping point, where there had been some coaching changes. Jack was frustrated. It was kind of all about Jack. And he wasn't being the kind of person they thought he was and the leader that they thought he was. Um, and I think there was already some misgivings within the organization. So when he wanted to treat his injury in one way and they were like, well, we don't, we don't really want to do that. We want to go another way. That created a lot of animosity. Um, so it was a, a pretty bad divorce, a pretty bad break, breakup. But when Kevin Adams had to make the decision, he basically said, I'm going to do what's right for the organization. You know, sure. I mean, I, I want to help the player out here if I can, but I'm going to do what's right for the organization. And it got to a point where they kind of held on to him for a long time because they couldn't get the right kind of trade. They finally did. You know, getting Alex Tuck here is great and Peyton Krebs and the pick. Um, so I think when it finally happened, everybody, you know, really kind of pointed their arrows at Jack and said, this is on you. It's your fault. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that is true. But uh, I think also that the organization put him in a tough spot when he was here as a young kid. Sal Capaccio joining us from Buffalo, talking Bills, talking Sabres, talking the Golden Knights going to visit uh, the Sabres. And I'm curious if you think the reception is going to be the same, Sal, uh, when Jack Eichel arrives this time. He's playing great for the Vegas Golden Knights thus far. They're off to the best start in the NHL. Are the wounds healed, or is this going to continue? Oh, no. It'll continue. (laughs) Now, listen, I will tell you, because this team has not done a lot of winning, right? Like last year, that win, Jack coming here, and the Sabres to beat them, and Alex Tuck to beat Jack Eichel for the puck and to have like the game-winning goal, essentially, was just the icing on the cake. It was the cherry on top of everything. It was amazing, and we loved it. But here's, I think, the, the antidote of why people are the way they are against Jack Eichel. And I just told you about how he didn't fit. After, the, after that happened, he was, a, he was a baby about it, basically. And he was, um, he came out, he didn't even want to talk to the media. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, Jack Eichel just got here. And then he, then he went out and said, oh, the building was never that loud when I was here. Maybe they missed me or something like that. It was just, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about with the culture and the fit. He was never a leader. And maybe he's a leader now, and maybe he's grown up a little bit being around the people he's there. And it just was never the fit here. So I can guarantee you, after that, like it would have went away. If Jack would have came out after that game and said, hey, you know what, it was great coming back, the organization, you know, things didn't work out, but this is what happens in sports. But he didn't do that. And he, 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 he acted like a baby after the game, and that made it worse. And he now has a locker room after doing that sort of thing where he doesn't have to be that guy, right? You have, you have multiple captains and former captains in that Vegas Golden Knights locker room, better fit for him in terms of that and you talked about the next generation and the Sabres turning the page tell us about what's happened with Rasmus Dahlin this year because it feels like for a super high draft pick that you know it wasn't terrible but is certainly starting to look like the level of guy that uh, the Sabres would have expected Don Granado happened to Rasmus Dahlin um, <laughs> he has he he was drafted, number one pick. He looked pretty good a little bit his rookie year, but, you know, he goes through ups and downs. And then he just he took a dip. We couldn't figure out, like, what's going on. Here's this guy. He's supposed to be this generational talent defenseman, basically um, being compared to Potvin, you know, and stuff like that, and it just wasn't working. Don Granado comes in last year, coaching change, 
And he just has a great way with these young kids, and he's really kind of accentuated a lot of their talents. And um, they've done a really they've done a really nice job with a lot of these guys. But he's first and foremost on the list where he has really stepped up his game. He's been incredible. He's been maybe their best player overall. Um, he set an NHL record, I think it was, with um, five straight games open the season as a defenseman with a goal. Um, he's been awesome, and I think you know you can point right to the coaching, right to the style of coaching, and I think you know again this goes back to Jack, which is kind of funny. There were a lot of young guys in this organization when Jack was here that I think they were almost afraid to breathe because everything was about Jack and pleasing Jack and making Jack happy and making sure they did everything right to keep Jack, you know, uh, wanting to be here. But they don't have to worry about that anymore. They can be themselves. And Don Granado has been an amazing coach for these young guys. And Rasmus Dahlin is first on the list of the guys that really have um, really been able to step up their game. And now he's also an associate captain, assistant captain. And I'll tell you, you know, Rasmus isn't like the biggest kind of outward leader. But I think that's really helped him grow as well, where you say, look, we need you to be a leader. This is the kind of guy you are. Now you see him, he's starting trouble. He's getting into fights. He's got an edge to him, and that's helped his game as well. Night Sabres tomorrow, 4 o'clock start over on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're talking to Sal Capaccio, who covers the uh, Buffalo scene for WGR. All right, we talked about the atmosphere for Eichel, and Eichel set up a lot of it himself. And I would assume the mood of a lot of fans this week might be a little more surly because of what's going on with Josh Allen and the uncertainty here. And now all of a sudden the season's been kind of thrown into doubt. So what's the latest, not a whole lot of information coming from the bills on that potential UCL injury, right? Right. Um, what we got from Sean McDermott today is what we normally get from him on injuries, which is day to day, day to day. We hear that a lot. It's either day to day or week to week, but he did say day to day. He didn't say week to week, which is encouraging, um, you know, for Josh Allen, but he's not going to tell us what's going on. That's just the way that coach McDermott operates. Um, you know, keeping it close to the vest, I'll say this, though. I don't think he's lying when he says he doesn't know. Right. Like, this is one of those things that can go either way. So as much as he doesn't want to give anything, I don't think he really has the ability to. He doesn't have the, the information that everybody wants. Will he play? They're going to take this every day up till maybe Saturday night at 4 o'clock, and they have to elevate Mac Barkley as the practice squad to be the backup. Maybe Sunday game time. They say Josh Allen's inactive. But, um, look, I think the, the biggest news here in the best-case scenario is that they – they, they avoided major, major catastrophic injury here, apparently, to Josh Allen's elbow. And that, that's what this is about. And if he can't play Sunday, you know, what, that's okay, as long as he's going to be okay for the rest of the season. I think that's what's going to happen here. Now, 7-1 Minnesota, they're a very good team. The Bills can beat them, though. They can win at home with Case Keenum playing quarterback and the defense they have. We know that. And if they do, maybe we're in the same situation next week. If they don't, maybe they you know, put Josh out there say, hey, it's a little more urgent here. I know this. Um, Josh Allen's going to want to play, and a lot of times you have to protect players from themselves, as you guys know, and that's going to be a big conversation, I think, throughout the week. Are you shocked by how, we'll say, decent the rest of the AFC East is? Um, a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised at what the Jets are doing. I thought they'd be better. I didn't think they'd be this good. They really do have a legitimate defense, guys, and I, I still don't think their offense is that good. The Bills Kind of gave him a gift uh, last week and didn't play well. Josh gave him two gifts with the interceptions, I should say, and set them up and did a really nice uh, job of their defense. That's that's what they're going to lean on this year. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that Tua would make a jump, but the jump he's made has been incredible. Now I do want to see, like, what does that offense look like when they do have some cold-weather games? They have to go outdoors, and they, they can't throw the ball quite as well because I don't really believe as much in their defense uh, or in their run game. And then you have New England, who – Kind of, I'll do the Denny Green. They are who we thought they were. I, I, I just don't think New England's all that great. I think that they're a team that it, they, have, they have one way to play, and that way has a ceiling, and that's um, trying to run the ball. And I don't think their defense is great. It's okay. I think that they 
once you when they face faster teams, it's a little tougher on them. They're not the most athletic defense, but they're well coached, obviously. But basically, it's um, you know kind of a three yards in a cloud of dust. They have no playmakers, and um, I, I think New England could wind up finishing fourth in this division because kind of who they are. Who's the best team in the AFC? Well, the Bills are when healthy, um, and that includes Josh Allen. Right now, he's not. So I would say, as of this very moment, they're probably not. It's most likely Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. Um, but the Bills went there. They beat them. Uh, they went to Baltimore. They beat them. They, went, they beat Tennessee. The Bills have beaten all three of the other division leaders. People forget about that, despite the losses. But if they're not healthy, especially with Josh Allen, um, they're not the best team. But I think healthy, healthy uh, roster for roster, the Bills have the best team in the AFC. And, look, when this is all said and done, they're still going to be right there in the mix to, to go to a Super Bowl. The question is, can they get the number one seed and force teams to come to Buffalo and play back-to-back home games in Buffalo instead of having to go on the road at all? You saw them up close. Who were you more impressed by, the Chiefs or the Ravens? Um, I would say in the games that I saw, I was more impressed with the Chiefs. Hmm. I think the Ravens have a possibility to be a better team, though, because of you know what they're – what they can do with Lamar and that X factor, because you know I watched the Chiefs, what Monday night, Sunday night, whatever it was against Tennessee, and I think the Chiefs um, they're vulnerable and they you know they get by, yeah, with Patrick Mahomes playing some doing some street magic. We know that you know that's pretty incredible, um, but you know Tennessee should have beat that team. Look at Baltimore's schedule, guys. They have a lot of opportunity in front of them to really win some games coming up, and I know the Chiefs do too. But I think Baltimore could really be in the mix. I think the Chiefs are a better team because of Patrick Mahomes. But I would not be surprised if Baltimore winds up with a better record. Sal, you're awesome, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anytime, guys. Thank you. There he is. WGR radio star, Bill Sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio. But I'm just rubbing my hands together. Ooh, we got some races now. And unlike other jabronis, and we're all jabronis, unlike other jabronis on Cofield and Company, I'm not happy as a Jets fan that Josh Allen may be hurt. But it does change everything in the division and in the AFC. Does it not, Candy? Of course it does. It's the single most significant injury that could happen to any team. And I'm counting Patrick Mahomes among that because the Bills are primed to win now in a way that a lot of teams are not primed to win now. Nobody thought Kansas City was going to just move right on from Tyreek Hill and be ready to jump up the way that they have. This is Buffalo's year. And if Josh Allen is hurt, this is not Buffalo's year. So I appreciate it very well the way you set that question up for Sal to get him to say that the New York Jets are playing good football. That, that was really well done. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure he enjoyed that. I'm sure you enjoyed getting to hear that. I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow Sean McDermott can come in and go, you know what? Josh Allen is feeling better now. Better now. Speaking of that, who wants to go see Post Malone? Who wants to go see Post Malone? Yeah! I love that guy. I'm very jealous whoever gets to go to this. Friday show, T-Mobile. Yeah, I'm a cheese ball. 8 o'clock show at the Fortress. You can grab your tickets in Las Vegas for Post Malone. He's dynamite. AXS.com. By the way, to all the bars around Las Vegas who filter their jukebox, you don't have to filter out Post Malone. It's very chill, relaxing music, okay? I want to spend I want to spend my money on your jukebox, so put them back in. Anyway, we've got two tickets. Ari's got them. Call her 7-364-1100, 364-1100. Post Malone tickets going out on Cofield and Company. 
Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. All right, good conversation there with Sal Capaccio, WGR in Buffalo. That should be an electric atmosphere tomorrow night. Right, Candy? Buffalo bringing back, well, seeing Eichel come back. And as Sal mentioned, and, you know, we had talked about it here, that Eichel was a little bit weird after the game and laid the groundwork for future meetings by by not being super respectful to the Sabres crowd. And quite honestly, I didn't mind Jack Eichel doing what he did, Cofield, because I don't know that he was treated fairly by that fan base. He certainly wasn't treated fairly by that organization. And in the end, worked out for everybody, right? The Golden Knights are off to a 12-2 and start, and the Buffalo Sabres have a lot of reason for optimism right now. So I know we always want to find a winner in a trade, and sometimes the answer is both. Did you think the Knights were going to win last night against the Leafs? It's hard to keep thinking that they're going to win the way they've been winning for right. an eight-game winning streak, right. but they keep doing it, and it's kind of amazing to, to watch how it's happening. Right, like This is definitely, the when I say a tail outcome for them, like at the far end of the good spectrum, and they're not going to keep playing this way all year long, but take it for what it's here. What do you think of the overtime? It looked to me like the Leafs were just gassed. Which is an interesting thing to say when we talk about a Golden Knights team that is in the middle of right. a long, long road trip here, right? Like They should be the side if either side is going to look that way. I mean, Riley Smith just kind of zips past the defender at the blue line and then good pass by Theodore. And I don't know. It almost looked like the, all the Leafs just, I mean, they were disappointed they lost, but put their hands on their uh on their knees, but yeah, great comeback and, and a game where they were on the wrong side of the shots for much of the game. And I know you wanted to shout out more than shout out Logan Thompson and that Thompson really has a grasp on this starting goalie position. And for those of us, and I didn't, but when we had that debate, like, Hey, can this guy be the 55 game goalie this year? I think he's shown he, he can be. Oh, there's no question about it. Cofield. You can end any discussion of, do they need to do something about goaltender right now? Because Logan Thompson has already been outstanding. He hasn't been good. He's been outstanding thus far. We're talking about a guy with a 930 save percentage. We're talking about a guy who, instead of being a reason that the Golden Knights have just enough offense and just enough goaltending, no, even when they haven't played well by the numbers. And let's be clear, the advanced numbers that have always loved the Golden Knights, especially under Pete DeBoer, all the Corsi four and the things that we like to talk about as the puck possession and shots and so on, Golden Knights aren't good in those this year. Golden Knights are below 50% Corsi four thus far this year. So when you look at Logan Thompson, he's the reason they're winning, not just the reason that they have just enough. He's playing way above and beyond. And so for a team that's cap strapped, for a team that might need to add forward depth at some point, the one thing they don't have to worry about is goaltending. And for all of the hand wringing that was done over Robin Leonard and the loss of Flurry, et cetera, et cetera, we're getting to see that goaltending in the NHL is like relief pitchers in Major League Baseball. Can up, up one year, down the next year, you never know where it's going to come from. And it came from Logan Thompson for VGK. So the Golden Knights are killing it right now in the middle of a long winning streak. Good start to the season for 
both of our local collegiate basketball teams, the Lady Rebels and the Runner Rebels, with wins on Monday. If you want to hear Kevin Kruger talk about the Runner Rebels, he's on right now. Show number two of the season. It's over on Raider Nation Radio 920. I know in the past it's been on ESPN Las Vegas, but the home this year. For the Kruger Radio Show with John Sandler and Curtis Terry and Coach Kruger and players and assistant coaches, live at Bailiwick is on 920. It's a 5 o'clock start every Wednesday. And want to remind you for the football game coming up on Friday, Rebels hosting Fresno State at the Owl. They're doing a food drive. The UNLV Food Pantry and the football program have come together. First 100 fans, and then you know more fans than that, go out, drop off the perishable items. If you uh, get to Lot C, you drop off some perishable items. You're going to get a $10 gift card that can be used towards Rebel Gear at Raider Image Merchandise locations around town. You can also drop off canned goods at the Fertitta Football Complex on campus now through Friday. Uh, that's every day, 9 to 5 p.m. So now through Friday, take part in the UNLV football Food drive, a very cool deal. And if you're going to the game, Lot C is where you're going to want to drop off the food. Lot C. Up next, we're going to preview the Fresno State side. Man, they're getting healthy again. They've got, a, I think, a borderline NFL quarterback in Jake Hayner. They've got great receivers. They've got a legendary head coach. Tough task in front of UNLV. Join Cofield and Company on Thursdays for the live 2-5 to five show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77-cent beers. It's Thursday Night Football at Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Boy, oh boy, things change quickly in the world of college football. Health affects a lot. But look at where Fresno was at the beginning of October. Look at where UNLV was at the beginning of October. I was thinking at the time, like, this is a very winnable game. Not that it's out of reach for UNLV, but Fresno is back. Jake Hayner is back. Cam Morrell played football at Fresno and in the NFL. He's the uh, one of the radio voices of the Bulldogs and Helps us preview the game on Friday. Cam, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. I'm great. Love when UNLV and Fresno State plays, and, and we get to chop it up a little bit. Yes, yes. And uh, we could have a very competitive game because things have changed a lot with Fresno over the last couple of weeks. Tell me if I'm wrong on this one. When Hayner was down and it turned into an extended absence, were any of you guys worried that Hayner may not be back at all this season? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think if look, I, I'm not going to speak for Jay Kaner, but if they don't, if they lose to San Jose State and they're sitting at one and five and they have no chance to win the West Division because they have two losses and with the loss to San Jose State, looking at playing San Diego State in a couple of weeks, I don't know if Jay Kaner comes back. I mean, yeah. you know, I wouldn't blame him. He's an NFL quarterback. He had a Senior Bowl invite last year. Decided to come back to school, so. I, I would not have blamed Jay Kaner if he said, I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to rehab fully to throw at the combine and perform for NFL scouts. I don't think anybody could have blamed him for that. So, yeah, there was a point in time where it was very up in the air whether we would see Jay Kaner down at Fresno State jersey again. Now, I'm glad you went there because I had heard about four weeks ago that 
that was a consideration that his family, you know, they were kind of rounding up considering what the future was like. And, you know, if you want to make the NFL and then you're on a team that's not going anywhere, um, it's too much of a risk to come back. But he's come back, and he's thrown for almost 800 yards in two games since. Seven touchdowns and two interceptions. I mean, talk about having no rust. This return has been amazing. Yeah, and and I, I give him a lot of credit because he came back against San Diego State, and I mean, you guys know you just saw that defense; like they can be really nasty, and they got after Jake Saxton, uh, Saxton six times in that game, but he just kept fighting, man. He stayed with it, and you know, brought brought him all the way. It took a miracle, but brought him all the way back, and and you know, really was just thrust back into getting bull, live bullets, you know, flying at him. Looks much more composed against Hawaii. Obviously, it's a much different defense. But, you know, I, I, like I said, a lot of credit for coming back against San Diego State. He knew they were going to throw a lot at him. He was rusty. He did make some, uh, some poor decisions under pressure. But uh, against Hawaii, you know, the first drive, he was kind of the same and then just kind of seemed to get, like, the comfortable, you know, sense of the pocket that we've known Jay Kaner to have throughout his career here. So, yeah, it was a little rusty at first, but, man, he jumped into the buzzsaw with San Diego State, and, yeah, last week he looked like the Jay Kaner that, you know, we expected to see at the beginning of the season. Cam Morell is with us. Former Fresno State Bulldog is on the radio call of Fresno State football. Uh, Earlier I was talking about the receivers, and this is a loaded receiving core, and they're getting healthier now. Who's your favorite receiver in this group? I mean, I think there's a lead dog, but man, some of the other guys really are super talented. Man, it's. Uh, I think this is such a fantastic group. I'm partial to, to Jalen Moreno Cropper because you know he's a Valley guy. He's a small town kid. I'm a small town kid from the Valley, so I just always rooted for him. You know, he's such a humble young man, works his butt off, and and you know he's such a weapon. You can get in the ball, get him the ball in so many different ways. Um, so I'm just I'm just a fan of his. I love watching him play. Uh, but you know, Nico Remigio is explosive. He's an NFL punt returner, no doubt about it. He's tough. He's physical. He's explosive. Eric Brooks is a former walk-on who showed up big against USC. He'll show up every couple weeks. Zane Pope had a career day against San Diego State. He's like the the steady guy in the lineup. Now Josh Kelly's back. I mean, they have a crew of receivers. Uh, and it's kind of pick your poison. Different guys will step up in different situations. Nico caught, you know, the game-winning touchdown against San Diego State, made a guy miss, went to the house. So a lot of guys to watch, a lot of excitement when those guys have the ball in their hands. But, man, Jalen Moreno Cropper is just my guy. He's, he's tough. He doesn't back down from any challenge. He's, you know, such a unique weapon. I think he's going to get a real NFL opportunity, continue to improve every year. And, and like I said, I'm just a fan of, of him and really like watching him play offensively. And uh, UNLV is very well aware of Marino Cropper because uh, <laughs> last year in that 38-30 right. game, Jesus, they could not stop him. Four touchdowns. I think it was like 10 catches, 148. Uh, he's just been he's been a thorn in the side, even going back to Tony Sanchez with uh, jet sweeps running all over the field. So yeah. the receiving core is loaded. Um, if there is an issue on this team, how has the offensive line been and what's the impact you know, one of the best names in all of football, college-level football, is Dante Bull, and he broke his leg at right tackle. So where's the O-line right now? Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, they gave up six sacks against San Diego State. They had negative three rushing yards. 
against San Diego State, when this team has struggled, it has been because uh, they can't run the football and they can't protect. And, and we saw both of those against San Diego State. UConn earlier in the year, which kind of a weird game, you know, Logan Fikes first start, but they couldn't run the football at all. It was all on Logan Fikes, and they really struggled. Braylon Nelson stepped in the right tackle last week. He was a starter last year at the guard position. They moved him out to tackle this year. I, I think he's a good football player. Just a sophomore, going to continue to develop. So he stepped in, and they played better, but it was Hawaii coming off a game where San Diego State just completely dominated that offensive line. So, you know, this team has been a little kind of Jekyll and Hyde. I, I, I feel like every time I expect something out of them, they don't perform the way that I expect them to. I was very scared of, of Chevin Cordero coming into Bulldog Stadium, you know, a month ago because he was playing fantastic football, and they really shut him down. Uh, really dominated that San Jose State offense, which was surprising. And then I thought, man, a good win at New Mexico. Now they're going to be ready to go. Everything's at stake against San Diego State, and they're down 28-10, to 10, just play a horrible half of, of defensive football in the first half. So the offensive line is all season long has been kind of in flux. They looked better against Hawaii. I think they're going to start the same lineup for the second week in a row, which is positive for them because they've had guys in and out kind of all season, but it's a big question mark. And until they put together, you know, weeks of consistent performances against good defenses, guys that can get after the quarterback or get in the backfield like this UNLV defense does do, then, you know, that that is the question mark. And I'm just not totally confident that this group can – can come and be consistent on a weekly basis because they haven't shown that yet. Fresno State in town to take on UNLV, a Friday night game. Veterans Day, so there'll be some honoring of the veterans. There's a food drive that night. There's a family four-pack that's available at UNLVtickets.com. A parking pass and four tickets for as low as $160. i am glad you keep mentioning the San Diego State game because now UNLV's coming off a game against SDSU. Uh, you guys just played them recently, and... Some of the positives for UNLV, you just mentioned, they got in the backfield a bunch. I thought they did a pretty good job of slowing down Jalen Maiden, who's a dangerous guy, the Aztecs quarterback. They also were able to pile up some yards on the ground, and that's really tough against San Diego State. Aiden Robbins, who's uh, probably closer to like 85% than 100, actually had 115 on the ground. So the, the Rebels, you know, while you're used to facing the Fresno guy and Charles Williams, the Rebels actually have a pretty dangerous run game with the, you know, the big back at 6'2 and 230. Yeah, he's he's a he's a big back, and he's you know he doesn't run like a big back though. You know, can make guys miss. Also explosive. Yeah, watching the chuck wagon operate, man, I, it always killed me because yeah. he should have. You know, they they didn't even recruit him the last Tim uh, <laughs> yep. and his crew here, man. It drove me crazy, but huge fan of his also. Yeah, and the Boise State lost the second half. This Fresno State defense, they were just dominated by the run game. It was nothing creative it was we're going to line up and we're just going to pound the ball right at you and we feel like we can do that and when this game it's exactly what they did so it, just like on the offensive side physical defensive front has have really affected this offensive line physical offensive front big running backs they they've been able to to do some damage against this fresno state defense and with doug brumfield back if he wasn't back you know i think you could probably right 
uh, add add extra pieces around the line of scrimmage to slow that run game down. But you can't do that with him. You know, you just you can't. He's he's too accurate. He can distribute the ball too well. He's a big athlete. You know, he can make you hurt. Uh, he can hurt you with his legs as well. He can extend plays. Like he's the he's a weapon that you have to account for. So, you know, I think it's a shame that he got hurt. You know, I, I he was playing really really good football, and I hope he can get back to playing the football he was playing at the beginning of the season. Because man, uh, I said this to my guy Joe Rigo yesterday. I can't root for UNLV on Friday, but I'm rooting for these Rebels to get full eligible <laughs> and get back to a bowl game. I really am. It's, the Mountain West is so much better when UNLV plays good football and everything's in place. Marcus Arroyo has everybody bought in, and I, I really love the way that they play. They play with effort and energy all the time. So I hope that they get back to the way they were playing at the beginning of the year, and a lot of that has to do with with the quarterback, Deb So just being healthy, being confident, and, and kind of getting the feel of the game back. So it's tough to judge who the best team in the Mountain West is because – some of the the big boy teams had injuries, right? And and you know and, and change like Boise having a massive change at quarterback and NOC and you guys at quarterback with Jake Hayner and then midseason quarterback change at San Diego State. Who do you actually think is the best team? Yeah, I think Boise is the best team. Yeah. They just they've kind of played solid defense all year. I know you know the Hank Bachmeyer. He had a couple of high turnover games in the Oregon State a high turnover game, um, but. I mean, I watched him really dominate, and Jake Hayner wasn't there, but they dominated this Fresno State defense, which I think this defense has played better. They gave up a – I mean, Jaden Maiden ripped them apart. San Diego State went against every tendency that they had coming into that game. It was a very impressive game plan that they put together. But I think Boise is the most complete team. Uh, Taylor Green gets better every week. They can run the ball. George Helani, I think, is an NFL running back. Uh, they have the freshman kid whose name is Casey, but he's really good. Also, a kid from Florida. Um, and they, they're, they're physical up front. They've kind of settled in, in in that offensive line unit, which was kind of a mess at the beginning of the year. They're playing really good football right now. Their defense has been solid all season long, and now that offense is starting to come along. So I put them at the top. Fresno State with the healthy Jay Kaner, I think, is probably the second-best team. Wyoming, though, man, I watched the tape against Hawaii. Super physical, faster than I thought on defense. They can really get after the quarterback. They they cause problems for offensive lines, which is a Achilles heel for this Fresno State team. I think they're right up there, and and you can never count out Air Force. They're just tough to stop all the time. They're physical defensively, also. So, I I think those are the top four. San Diego State always solid defensively. Uh, Maiden has kind of settled that quarterback position, which is. You know, if you stop the run with San Diego State, you feel like you have a good chance to win. Maiden changes that a little bit. They're a little bit more dynamic with them at the quarterback spot. But I think those are the best teams in the conference right now. But I would I would have to keep Boise State right at the top of the Mountain West right I'll, now. I'll give you a tough one. Who's the best offensive player in the league? Because up close, working the sidelines for UNLV, and it just happened to be the, you know, the game I covered, but he's had a great year. Chevin Cordero, the improvement from Hawaii to San Jose has been monumental. He's awesome. Yeah, I'm telling you, when, watching that tape, and it was against the Rebels, watching that tape, whoo, man, I'm oh, like, yeah. this is this dude can do it all. Not only is he a good athlete, he can extend plays, the RPO game, he can run that, very efficient, but man, when he sets his feet, 
Uh, he was chucking the ball all over the field. I was really, really, you know, scared about what that San Jose State offense was going to do coming into Bulldog Stadium. But San Jose State kind of caught him on an off day. They, like three or four drops in the first half. They, they, I mean, they sacked him five times, so really disrupted his his ability to stay in the pocket and to be comfortable. They, San Jose State couldn't run the ball at all. But yeah, Chevin Cordero, definitely the most improved player. I mean, really, really good. Can make all the throws, man. I was very impressed with him. You know, Jake kind of stepped back into being the guy. George Halani of the Boise State, probably going to run for, I don't know, 1,200 yards or so. And if they're the best team and they win the championship, he's the guy who kind of held that offense together. So, yeah, there's a there's some good weapons. Cordero is, is a guy, though, and, and, you know, San Jose State, they continue to run the table. That Fresno State loss may cost them an opportunity to play for a Mountain West championship, and at, at the time, that was a huge win for Fresno State, 1-4. and four. If they go 1-5, and five, who knows? Season could fall off a cliff very easily. They win that one and really kind of shut Cordero down, and, and they're in the driver's seat now just to take care of business, and they'll be okay. Last minute with Cam Morrell, who uh, played for Fresno State, is on the call, the radio call for Fresno. Is uh, Fresno State's in town to take on UNLV on Friday night. Uh, you play in the NFL, Bears, Dolphins, Jets. Of those three, who's the best team? Oh, man. Hey, three good teams right now, which is crazy because it has not, it's never been that way since I've played with them or since. I think right now... Uh, feet to the fire. I think the best team is the Dolphins, just because uh, Tua's playing fantastic. Tyreek Hill is the most we know he's the most explosive guy in the NFL, but they're using him in so many different ways. He's so dangerous right now. Their their defense is struggling a little bit, but like the NFL game is tailored toward offenses. If Brees Hall was healthy, had not torn his ACL, I would probably go with the Jets. But I just I like the explosiveness of that. Miami offense. I just think they're very well coached. Two is executing that offense about as good as you can. And and I'll give them the heads. The Bears are good too. The man Justin Fields is the guy. Finally, the Bears yep. have a quarterback. So people are finally excited about that position in Chicago. It's, it's fun to watch all those three teams this year, though, man, because they. I think they're all on the on the way up, and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. I wonder if I'm crazy if I say in five years Justin Fields could be the best quarterback of the three, Tua and Zach Wilson. Is that nuts? Nah, I, I, the skill set is there. We saw it on display last week. He just has to continue to improve some things. But no, not not nobody thought Josh Allen would be the best quarterback in the NFL, and he's yeah. right there because of the skill set he possesses. Justin Fields is the same thing. Cam, you're awesome. Enjoy the trip to Vegas. We'll see you at the stadium on Friday. I uh, appreciate you, fellas. Always fun coming on with you. There he is, Cam Morrell, former safety for Fresno State, played with the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bears in the National Football League. On the way back, we'll close out a weird note from the D.C. Commanders. God, they can't get out of their own way. What a gross organization. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. You know, earlier in the show, we were talking about the uh, Las Vegas Bowl and the Raiders button heads a little bit. 
you got a weekend where it's super busy. You know, the Raiders have made this claim over the first couple of years in the stadium that they can't turn around the field and get the stadium ready for the NFL games in less than, you know, 18 hours, right? So UNLV can't play night games if the Raiders are in the stadium the next day at 1 o'clock. So they've, they've worked that out, right? Most of the UNLV games at home are now during the day or they're Thursday or Friday night, just like this week. They're Friday night, and the Raiders are playing the Colts on Sunday. And I was saying, you know, there's a little butting of the heads right now because the Las Vegas Bowl has to kick off at 4.30 on September 17th. Check that, December 17th. And the Raiders may have to play at 1 o'clock, so you got a night game to a day game. There might not be enough time to turn it around. I think it'll work out, so buy your tickets. Didn't want to give that impression to not buy tickets. They'll figure it out. And it's a big game for us, right? We're going to have an SEC team here in town in Vegas. Whoever it is, you know they're going to travel tens of thousands. We're going to have a Pac-12 team in town, so we'll see what team that is, and then it kind of depends on which school it is and how well they will travel. So get your tickets. We're going to talk to John Sassenti tomorrow. He's ahead of the Las Vegas Bowl and get the skinny on the CFP and lots of other stuff that's college football related and, and local related. So we're waiting on the results of the gubernatorial election. It's going to be a while. And we had the theme today. If it is Lombardo, is he going to be as sports friendly as Sisolak? If it's Sisolak, what does he do in his next four years from a sports standpoint for Las Vegas? Because we've got all these professional teams on the horizon who may want to come here but may also ask for public money, right? And I made the pitch often, and I did it again today. Whoever it is, I do think needs to embrace Nevada and UNLV a little more in all these efforts to sports, 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 sports. Like, get more funding for both of the schools. Both schools benefit the their communities and the state massively. Give them a fighting chance. And... We don't know where the Pac-12 is right now with realignment. There were some reports from Dan Patrick. I guess he's got some sources saying that San Diego State may be going to the Pac-12. It's not done yet. Pac-12 still negotiating their TV deal. But I will tell you, if I'm a, a UNLV fan, and if I'm a Las Vegas, you want to see UNLV do well, right? Get well-funded. And I know you know you don't want to hear this, but you don't want to see... The wolf pack in Nevada die in the vine. That's that's not good. It's not good for the state because we got to pour money into these schools. If the Pac-12 does not look at UNLV, we've got this relationship in Vegas with the Pac-12. I seriously think the city of Las Vegas needs to tell the Pac-12, like, okay, if you love San Diego so much, then put your championships there. And we'll find other events to replace the Pac-12 men's basketball championship or the women's. Believe me, we can do it pretty easily. It may not be the same exact time frame, but I really think there's some leverage there. And maybe it's the LVCVA who's got to be behind it or the governor. Fight for these schools a little bit. Just a tiny bit. I mean, my God. We're going to fight for MLS or the NBA or the Oakland A's over our, our, our state schools? Seriously? Stick your hand in there, Dave. And closing out with this one, another doozy from Dan Snyder and company. The they're being investigated by so many people it's hard to keep track of. And the AG in DC, I guess, is going to have a press conference tomorrow. Listen to how just gross this one is. 
Less than this is from the Redskins. Check that commanders. Check that football team. Snydogs. Less than three months ago, a 23-year-old player on our team was shot multiple times in broad daylight. Despite the out-of-control violent crime in D.C., today the Washington Commanders learned for the first time on Twitter that the D.C. Attorney General will be holding a press conference to make a major announcement related to the organization tomorrow. I'm not reading the rest of it. They basically just used Brian Robinson, their player who was shot, their rookie out of Alabama. They basically just used him as either a PR ploy or a shield. There is no shame with this guy. And while we freaking love to annihilate Raj Grinnell, Roger Goodell, and beat up the other owners, can you imagine these guys waking up to this buffoonery? How much it hurts their reputation? Because not all owners are like this. Dan Snyder is, though. God, if I'm Brian Robinson, I'm like, no, no, no. Don't use me as a shield, bruh. Sell the freaking team. Move on. That's enough.